0: You're listening to the podcast of minister, author, blogger Marilyn Darty. Prepare yourself to fly above what you thought you knew and see things from a different angle. Hello everyone. This is Marilyn Thank you for joining my podcast today, Biblical Teaching with a Bite. It's my prayer every day that when I minister in the Word of God, that He would use me in a mighty way. God forbid that I would make His Word non-effective by making it boring because of my presentation. If there's one thing I know, it is that the Word is never boring. People can be boring, but never His Word. So my advice to anyone, that is beginning in the ministry or teaching or preaching or writing would be to find out how to present the gospel in such a way that it would capture men's hearts. It will do that on its own, but if you sound like a robot presenting it, you do it a disservice. Well, having said all that, that's why I named the broadcast Biblical Teaching with a Bite because the bite is where it's at. I want it to get a hold on you and not let go that it will be like a pit bull and lock its jaws on you. Mm -hmm. This is a listener-supported broadcast, and I rely upon you, my listeners, to support this ministry so that I can bring you these timely biblical messages. So please consider giving a small amount every month to the ministry. If you partner with me today by giving at least $25 a month, then... I'll send you my monthly newsletter, and in that newsletter, I'm going to include one of my latest sermons, one of my gold nugget blogs with lots of insight into the scriptures, and an itinerary of where you can hear me preach or teach for one of my next engagements. Just include your email address so that I can send you uh, some information and so that I can send you the newsletter. When you send your offering, send it through Venmo, V-E-N-M-O, or PayPal. If you send it through Venmo, then send it to Marilyn, M-A-R-I-L-Y-N, dash Daugherty, dash one. Or you can send it through PayPal to paypal.me forward slash Marilyn Daugherty, all one word. Or simply drop me a check in the mail and address it to 104B General Manson Drive, Richmond, Kentucky, 40475. And again, I want to thank you for listening and for praying for this ministry. I know you're out there and that you keep me in your prayers and I really appreciate those. You'll never know how valuable those are to me. I love you and God bless you. Now, let's get on with the broadcast. Hope you enjoy it hello everyone this is Marilyn coming at you again today today we're going to be talking about how to be a great pastor's wife and i'm going to start again with chapter seven on grin and barrett every novice pastor could probably testify that they had a lot of expectations about their first church as well as every new assignment and some of those places may have lived up to our ideals and some of them didn't Well, if you experience life like we did, my husband never went to a church where everything was perfect. It's true. It does seem that a few people go through ministry without a care in the world. They always have the most prosperous churches and their attendance is always wonderful. Their members are the cream of the crop. They're the ones that always go on mission trips to Hawaii. (laughs) They are World travelers, sophisticated and charismatic, every year their church honors them with a pastor's appreciation Sunday and they're given gifts like new cars or a trip to the Nassau Bahamas or a 30-day vacation around the world. But let's come back to earth, okay? Because most of us don't experience this in the ministry. Most of us load up our 20-year-old car with a trailer dragging behind it. And when we get to our new assignment at two in the morning, the lights won't come on in the parsonage because in the confusion of transferring the new pastor, the treasurer forgot to pay the electric bill. And there is no welcoming committee with a warm pot of soup. So you drag the blankets from the back of the trunk, and you make a pallet on the floor for you and the little ones to finish the long day. Welcome to your new assignment. You've just arrived at your new church and you're broke because you collected your paycheck from your last church, but that was two weeks ago. Your new church isn't about to pay you in advance and you have to preach Sunday, but that's not going to be for another five days. You have to preach at least a, uh, a week before you get paid And so there's not going to be any groceries. And if you don't have an intuitive member, you'll be living off of peanut butter and crackers for a week because the electric is off. You and hubby don't have any clean clothes or to put it mildly, you don't have any clean undies. So you slip your pajamas on under your dress and you roll them up and off to your first service you go. So... You can't move around too much this morning because your pajamas are going to slip down beneath your hemline. Yes, all of this has happened to me. I started to call this segment Overcoming Expectations. It's human nature to hope for the best and prepare for the worst. But in ministry, the one thing you must remember is this. You were sent to minister and not to be ministered to. Even our master came to do the will of his father. John six thirty eight says, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. When you go to a new church, you are there to do the will of the father. You must remember that every assignment you have needs a pastor. If they were perfect, they wouldn't need you. You've been sent to teach your congregation how to be disciples of Christ. If you were ignored and treated badly when you first arrived, then one of your assignments is going to be to teach your church how to love and care for each other. They're only going to learn that by watching you and your husband treat each other well and to treat the guests well when they come. One of the most difficult situations to handle in your church is going to be church bosses. These are people who feel it is their God-given responsibility to keep the preacher in line. For some reason, they view all ministers as the enemy and the church is a victim. I have to be fair with these people because somewhere in the past, there was probably a precedence that was set. They may have been mentored by someone who thought it was their responsibility to be in charge, or they may have been a victim themselves by an abusive pastor. Trust me, there are some ministers in the pulpit that have no business being in ministry. 1 Peter 5, 1 and 3 describes what a minister should be. It says, The elders which are among you I exhort, whom am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, and also are partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not by filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Peter acknowledged that some ministers were only in the ministry for money, and some were only in it for power and gain, acting as lords over the flock of God. So with that in mind, it's easy to see how some church bosses have taken more authority than they should have because they feel as if they're protecting the congregation from getting fleeced over or even being abused. But this can be a very slippery slope for a godly man in the congregation. If his heart is right with the Lord, I would suggest that if he feels that the congregation needs to be protected from the pastor, then it's time to have a meeting with the denominational headquarters or the pastoral board, whichever applies in that particular church. But assuming that there are men in the congregation that takes on the role of church boss to run roughshod over the pastor just for power's sake, this is what I'm going to address. He will try to establish his position as early as possible. Many times, the person who calls you ahead of time about the church may be one of those bosses. Now, not all the time, but I'm just suggesting that sometimes it may be. He or she may have served on the pulpit committee. They may be the one who meets you at the parsonage to help you unload. At first, it isn't apparent what they're doing, but if they are indeed your adversary, they will soon let you know. You'll find them out. Some of these bosses have their own way of doing things. Some use manipulation in a very subtle way by making suggestions about what works and doesn't work there in the church. They may give you a list of things that they've tried before and it failed. It may or may not be true. The things they want is that you know you have to pass everything through them or the committee before you make a decision. Some of those decisions may be as small as ordering pencils for the office, while others may allow you more liberty, just as long as you know who's boss. Did you catch that word committee that I said? Some church bosses work with a board, and they're self-appointed, of course. Usually, the circle is small. It could be two or three, and some as large as five or six. There is usually a spokesman for the group, but there's always someone behind the scene pulling the strings. It doesn't have to be men. We've met several women bosses. They won't allow you to know who they are unless they feel that they have all the power. Once they know that the pastor is not a threat to them, they usually are very blatant with their uh, criticism and will openly challenge the pastor. So what do you do? Must you grin and bear it? Well, I hope not. This is one of those things that will have to be dealt with quickly. It could end up as a showdown at the OK Corral in which you will have to draw a line in the sand and you'll lose it. A lot of your congregation, and when I say you, I'm talking about the pastor, or you could also work with your congregation and win their hearts. Perhaps a year or two down the line, you may have enough people in your corner that you could overpower their decision with those you have behind you. But this usually doesn't work because a church that allows church bosses to dig in deep enough to run, the pastor won't usually stand against them when push comes to shove. So what is a man to do? If you believe God and his word, then believe that God will fight your battles. The Bible says that we don't wage war like people who don't believe. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Never forget that church bosses are operating in the flesh. If they were under the leadership of God, then they would respect the order of God. He has called one man to lead. Yes, the pastor should listen to godly men in his congregation. But when a decision is made for the mission of the church, it is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. It is God's will that must be done, not the church boss and not the pastor, but the Lord's alone. The pastor should pray for God's will to be shown, and then he should lead his congregation to follow the Lord. Most of the time, a pastor who leads well and a few years of service in the church will solve these problems. The church begins to trust him and sees that he wants God's will to be done, but that doesn't happen all the time. Some church bosses have been known to see the error in their ways and have repented to the Lord for their rebellion and have aligned themselves with the man of God and have worked with him. Praise God for those wonderful outcomes. But when you have a church boss in the congregation that will not repent, you have a very serious problem. They may have been there for years. Perhaps they've held the church back for years. The only way to defeat them is to pray that the Holy Spirit will break that stronghold. Strongholds are fortresses. The enemy has taken ground and he will defend it as long as he can. The only weapons you have strong enough to defeat him is prayer. Pray, fast, preach, teach, and submit yourself to God that he breaks every stronghold. Be prepared to lose people. I know you don't want to hear this, but sometimes it's the best way to solve your problem. You don't need to keep some people. If the Lord Jesus Christ lost people, then who are we to expect everyone to stay with us? When Jesus ascended to heaven, he had 500 people on that hillside. And he ordered them to go to Jerusalem to be filled with power. But when we see them again in the upper room, how many were there? 120. There was a rather large church having trouble with church bosses. There was a showdown between them and the pastor. Their spokesperson informed the pastor that if he didn't do what he was told, that half of the congregation would walk out of the service and they wouldn't be back. The boss was true to his word. When the pastor exposed the plan to the church, the boss got up and signaled for the other believers to follow him. There was about 50 people who got up and marched out of the church as the rest of the congregation watched their dramatic exit. The pastor didn't say anything for a while. He didn't want the man to miss his moment. So as soon as the last person left the building, the pastor squared his shoulders back and stated, Ladies and gentlemen, every healthy living organism has a bowel movement occasionally. We've just had one. There was total silence for a moment. As if on cue, the rest of the congregation stood to their feet, shouted with a crescendo while laughing and praising God, let the church roll on. Do you have to grin and bear it? No, not necessarily, but always ask God for wisdom. James 1 and 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I hope you enjoyed this. God bless you, and good luck in your new church.